T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Baseball is back. And so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Charlotte with Rozier launching a right side three. And they're going to wave it off. Ball game over. Bulls win. Bulls win. Bulls win. 133-119. Anthony Heron on 670 The Score. Hour number two with you here on The Score. I'm Anthony Heron. Top of this hour. Going to talk some Bulls basketball. Going to do it right here with Rob Schaefer of NBC Sports Chicago. Had a fun time in the first hour. Focused mainly on football, taking some calls. Now it is time for us to get into some buckets, some hoopage here on the score. Rob, as I mentioned, is of NBC Sports Chicago. You can find him on Twitter at Rob underscore Schaefer. Rob, what's happening, man? Not much, Anthony. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, man, appreciate you joining me. That was quite a game last night, and it was competitive, and Charlotte came back with some counter punches, and Bulls are a little bit banged up, and Vooch hadn't been looking like himself all year, and then here they come, man. They just hit another gear. Once they put the throttle down, they were able to pull away late in that game. I'm wondering what you what you saw as the biggest takeaway, because there was a lot of fun aspects between the Ball brothers and, and Vooch having a breakout and Zach Levine, you know, kind of struggling through and, and still finding a way via through some sickness to to have a big night. What was your big takeaway? I think the Vooch breakout has to be the biggest takeaway from this one, though, as you mentioned, there were, you know, a litany of positive storylines. Um, overall, it's the best offensive performance from the team of the season. They set a bunch of season highs and assists, points scored, field goal percentage down the line. But, you know, it's been such a storyline early in the season, the shooting slump that Nikola Vucevic has been in. He entered play last night shooting 40% from the field and 26.8% uh, from three. Those are just well below the standard that he's set for himself um, in his career, and especially over the last couple seasons when he's been an all-star caliber player. And it's been this thing hanging over a Bulls team that, you know, has gone through stretches where their half-court offense has gotten a little bit stuck in the mud. It's kind of been hanging over them that, hey, if we could just get Nikola Vucevic going, it would really add um, another dynamic layer to this offense. When he comes out and puts up 30, 14, five assists, even, get, even I, I thought improved defensively over the course of the game last night, um, picked up two blocks. If that's a sign of things to come for him, it really substantially raises the Bulls' ceiling as a team. And while there had been little flashes from Vooch, you know, good stretches for a quarter here or, you know, a stretch run there, this was the first kind of four quarters where he put it all together. He was scoring on the interior. He was passing out of double teams uh, in the post. He was running pick and roll and pick and pop with DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine, six to six from three-point range. He was finishing inside 
Um, it was just, it was an all around kind of vintage all star Nikola Vucevic game. And the Bulls have been waiting for that for a while. And to be the team that they want to be, they need at least part of that. They don't need 30 points every night, but they need part of that to sustain moving forward. Yeah, definitely agree with, with what you're saying at the end there. Cause we can't expect six out of six from three every game, but, but to be able to have him at least have those flashes and those moments on a consistent basis. Now it, it feels like the team can be sort of fully realized and at least the way that AK is, has hoped that he put this thing together. I'm wondering, well, now that we've seen one of these sort of breakout games from Vooch, and one thing that stands out, and I'm glad Billy Donovan even addressed it, just, just getting him into the post on a more consistent basis. And last night, it wasn't even always the low block. Some of it was high post and still being able to utilize his passing ability from the high block. I'm, I'm wondering why, why hasn't that portion of, of where he's been at his best, like his Vooch's game has expanded throughout his career, but where he's always been at his best has been in post-up. Why, why are we just getting to this point where they're sort of focused on getting him there where he's most comfortable? Yeah, I think what it comes down to is that as a team, the Bulls just want to play a high-octane, up-tempo brand of basketball where they're forcing turnovers, uh, live ball um, steals, and getting out on the fast break, pushing pace. And that style of play has been super conducive to the strengths of Alonzo Ball, of Zach Levine. Um, you know, DeMar DeRozan in times when the game has slowed down has kind of showed off this absurd array um, uh, of shot-making that he can pull out seemingly on a nightly basis. But that style, it, it just seems to me the odd man out from the beginning of the season has been Nikola Vucevic when he got here at the trade deadline last year, the Bulls kind of overnight became one of the most post-up dominant teams in the NBA. And he produced at a really high level, but the team in general um, kind of wilted down the stretch. Uh, the offense uh, dipped from where it had been earlier in the season. It's, it's just hard, I think, in, in this day and age in the NBA to build um, you know, a sustainable, efficient offense built solely around post-ups. So I think maybe there's been a little bit of an overcorrection early in the season where the Bulls say, hey, we want to play faster. We know Vooch can be a threat as a pick-and-roll, as a pick-and-pop player. We know he can, he can be effective from those areas at the top of the key in the high post. But what Billy Donovan talked about postgame last night, it's something that he's been hinting at, is that there does need to be maybe a little bit of a correction to the overcorrection where the Bulls find a balance where, all right, let's give Vooch a couple play calls, a couple post touches a game just to get him in his rhythm. And ultimately, although they don't want to be as post-up dominant a team as they were last year, that can be for the betterment of the team because if it gets Vooch rolling, um, you know, you see what the effects of it can be last night. So I'll be interested to see how that gets incorporated moving forward. Like you said, as much as Vooch is a very versatile offensive player, very skilled offensive player, his roots are down on that low block. I mean, when everything was running through him in Orlando for the last eight to ten years, um, that was a fundamental tenant of what made him effective. So I think for the Bulls, it's just about finding that balance of, you know, getting him rolling, getting him in his rhythm, but at the same time not slowing down the offense too much. The fortunate thing is that it is still early here. I mean, Booch has only played in 15 games this season. The Bulls as a team um, are only 22 games in. So they've, they've got time, and games like last night are a sign that, you know, they might be on the right track. Rob Schaefer of NBC Sports Chicago with me here on The Score. It seems like some games, Rob, especially earlier in the season, the Bulls have been – really ineffective from beyond the arc and as the seasons wore on here it seems like the shooting stroke has been a little more consistent have you found any sort of familiar sort of connectivity in in an approach that they've taken offensively in certain games where they shoot the three ball better versus games where they don't yeah I mean this is I think this is always going to be a team that shoots threes on the lower end of the spectrum in terms of volume 
Um, they shoot him at a pretty good percentage, but you know, just in terms of an actual volume of attempts and makes, I just think with the amount of uh, players that they have that are proficient from that mid-range area, they're such a team that is, um, you know, focused on getting to the basket, getting to the free throw line, that I just think, you know, over-reliance on the three-point line is never going to be something that this team um, has. Now, that said, they, they do have the ability when you talk about a guy like Lonzo Ball who can get hot like he did last night and hit four. Um, a guy like Vooch. I mean, that's as there, there's another huge part of getting Vooch going is that he can help the team in that respect when he's shooting 26% from three. Um, you know, the team-wide uh, framework of that doesn't look as good, but when he's six or six last night, it, it, it looks a little bit better. Um, so, you know, there, there's a level of randomness and variance to three-point shooting in the NBA. I don't think the Bulls are ever going to be a high-volume team in that respect, but as long as they can continue to be uh, a high percentage team, and especially if they can get um, Nikola Vucevic going so that he's not, you know, looking to pass first on his, on all of his touches, if he's competent enough like he was last night to pull some contested looks and make some of them, um, you know, that can do a lot for their spacing. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's incumbent on Vuce. It's incumbent on Kobe white, another guy who's being reintegrated here. He's uh, can be an effective high volume three point shooter when he's right. He hasn't really looked right to me consistently um, since he's been back. Uh, but we'll just have to see. I mean, it's the bulls have found ways to be an effective offensive team without um, the three point shot, or at least a high volume of it by taking the right ones and kind of focusing on the things that they do well, transition, get into the rim. Um, you know, when you have a guy like DeMar DeRozan that's shooting a million percent from the mid-range this year and it feels sustainable, that helps too. Uh, but we'll, we'll just have to see. I think it's going to be something that they're going to have to continue to work around throughout the year, the fact that they're never just going to be chucking them up. Uh, but they've shown an ability to still be a top-ten offense in this league without it, and obviously they've been a tremendous defensive team all year this season. So it's not something that I'm existentially concerned about, but it's, it, we'll just have to see how they continue to adjust to it. Rob Schaefer with me on the Circle Resort and Casino Hotline in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. The matchup of the Ball Brothers last night was really fun just to watch Lonzo and LaMelo competing against each other. And it sort of gave me shades of, of the the early stages of Venus and Serena where early on, like everybody kind of knew at some point Serena was going to surpass Venus. So Venus kind of had to get her licks in early on. And I'm wondering, do you do you see that being a, a similar scenario here? Like is, is LaMelo in your mind definitively going to, he's a few years younger than Lonzo. Lonzo's been in the league for longer. Is LaMelo definitively going to surpass the sort of all-around game in this brother-versus-brother matchup with his older brother Lonzo? Oh man, that Venus Serena analogy is is one that I hadn't thought of, but that's that is a great um, kind of comparison. I I mean, obviously they're they're different players as much as they are both point guards and share the kind of pass first nature, being unselfish, um, kind of playing this very aesthetically pleasing brand of basketball. But I do think Lamelo clearly has the higher ceiling, um, just uh, from you know a ball handling perspective, from a shot creation perspective. Um, even last night, he didn't shoot the ball well, but still ended, I think, with 18, 13, and 7, um, right. being six foot seven. I mean, he's just so unbelievably dynamic. Um, now, that said, Lonzo gets the best of him, and I think Lonzo is certainly the better defensive player and probably has uh, a higher ceiling on that end. So, you know, as much as they play the same position and um, are brothers, I think there's, some, there's a little bit of an apples and oranges comparison to them, a little bit. They just are stylistically a little bit different. Um, but, you know, Lonzo gets the better of him last night. I think obviously either guy would tell you um, that the ultimate determinant of who quote unquote wins a matchup between the two of them is whoever's team gets the W Lonzo's did, um, you know, La- LaMelo did get him a couple of, there was one snatchback three, I think in the third quarter 
um, where he hit one over him. But then Lonzo got him uh, blocking a layup uh, sometime in the second half, too. Mm-hmm. So that was that was a fun matchup to watch. The crowd certainly um, got into it. I know LeVar Ball was in attendance, and it did seem like there was a little extra juice in the arena every time one of them got the ball matched up. Another one. So, I mean, it's it's just a really fun storyline. I think it's a really wholesome storyline. You consider, um, you know, the trials and tribulations that it takes for one person to get to the NBA, let alone multiple siblings in one family. It's just a really cool thing uh, that's worth appreciating. And given how young they both are, you know, it's something that, and being in the same conference, it's something that we'll probably be watching for years to come. With Zach Levine, you know, obviously he's got the, the left thumb area injury on the non-shooting hand and you know, working through an illness last night and still performing well. The construct of this roster seems like it it would allow for Zach Levine to to be able to not necessarily coast, but maybe recover is, is the word I'm looking for here in the midst of, of some stretch of this season. You know, he's, there, there's a load that's been tasked uh, upon Zach Levine through through most of the time he's been here in Chicago. Now it's a different roster that can take some of the brunt of that off of him. How do you see the, the Bulls and the usage rate of Zach Levine perhaps being focused on as, as the year goes forward to make sure he's at his best in what will definitively be a playoff team? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think that's been, from the beginning of the season, that's been a huge, huge perk of adding all the talent that the Bulls did was that, I mean, Zach Levine was a historic, had a historically efficient season last year with just not much in the way of established NBA offensive talent around him. Now you, you know, put a, get a guy like DeMar DeRozan running the wing with him, um, who's obviously more than capable with the ball in his hands. A guy like Lonzo Ball, uh, who could space the floor, get out on the break. Um, Vucevic, obviously, for all the, the virtues of him we were talking about earlier, um, there's definitely a good amount of that load off of Zach Levine's shoulders. At the same time, he could, you know, take over any game at the drop of a hat. But last night's game, I, you know, I think is a great example because he comes in, he's questionable um, with a non-COVID-related illness. Um, looked like it, you know, Billy Donovan said after the game that he didn't think Zach looked himself, was kind of a little bit off, um, but wanted to fight through it and play. And he still ends with, you know, 25 points, six rebounds, five assists, and shoots over 50% from the field on 18 shots. And, you know, if you watch the game, it just he was getting everything that he got was completely in the flow of the offense, whether it be a catch-and-shoot three um, or a slash to the rim. I think he had 12 points in the third quarter. Most of those were on kind of cuts and finishes. He's, um, you know, if not the best finishing guard in the league um, in the, you know, upperest of upper echelons there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he's he's been banged up, Zach, in the early part of the season with, with the thumb sprain, the kind of ligament issue that he was dealing with there at the beginning of the season, which appears to be, healing now to this illness to, you know, there, there's just been a, a couple different ailments. Uh, but the beauty of this team is that, you know, he can kind of get his in the flow a little bit more. Whereas before, you know, the onus was completely on him to make something out of nothing on a nightly basis. And if he didn't have it, um, that was the story of the game. Um, so that's definitely been a, 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 a huge, huge positive of the roster since, you know, all the signings were made in the off season. Um, I think you definitely see it bear out um, in his numbers and his efficiency. Um, and, you know, he's still getting over 25 a game along with DeMar DeRozan. So, um, you know, it's it's something that we've known about Zach for a while, that if you moved him off the ball a little bit more or you got more talent around him, he would be able to maintain his production and efficiency and maybe be a little bit more fresh come playoff time, which is something that he hasn't experienced yet in his career but appears to be destined for this season. Um, and now you're kind of seeing it play out, and it's it's undeniably good for the Bulls that there isn't just an enormous strain on him on a nightly basis. 
Yeah, and it seems like it's come together very quickly once some some changes happened in the front office. We know you will continue to cover it as well as anybody in town. Rob, appreciate your time, man. Hey, appreciate you having me. All right, that is Rob Schaefer of NBC Sports Chicago. When we return, going to transition to some college foosball. College football playoff top 25 came out just moments ago. We'll discuss it next with Nicole Auerbach of The Athletic here on Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Jim Harbaugh. Finally, a chance to beat Ohio State in a high-stakes game. Cade McNamara takes a knee, and the Wolverines bench floods the field. Michigan has knocked off Ohio State as the fans begin to pour on the field. The Wolverines snap the streak and beat the Buckeyes 42-27 in Ann Arbor. Oh, it was quite a scene. Michigan finally got it done. It had taken a decade. It had been eight consecutive defeats at the hand of the Ohio State Buckeyes. Big House was rocking. They got it done behind a run game and offensive and defensive fronts. It was able to push around the Ohio State University Buckeyes. A lot of us wouldn't have necessarily predicted that the result would have played out in that way via that strategy, as it were, in, in modern football coming into the season. But I think this particular year, uh, more so than many others, that there will be, whether it is Georgia, whether it is Michigan, that there will be one of these teams that, whether it is Oklahoma State working their way into the top four, into the college football playoff, seems like one of these squads that is more defensive-focused, more run game-oriented on offense, will be the team that's able to find their way towards the national championships. First time in quite a while we've seen what what might be termed as as old-school football has really got a shot to win it all. And I, I like it. I like this, uh, this cyclical nature uh, that we've kind of gotten back to this point. The breaking news on the score is presented by BetQL. Smarter bets start with BetQL. Download the BetQL app or visit BetQL.com today. 
So in the not-too-distant past here, the college football playoff selection committee released their top 25 rankings, and so the top four were, as a lot of folks may have expected, Georgia came in at number one yet again, as they have been in every college football playoff poll up to this point. Michigan came in at number two, Alabama at number three, and the Cincinnati Bearcats, as folks like to call them, came in at number four. So at number five and six, that's really where the discussion is probably at its most interesting for the moment. Oklahoma State at number five. The Cowboys right outside the top four. They have the Big 12 championship game coming up this weekend against a two-loss Baylor squad. And then Notre Dame, the Notre Dame Fighting Irish, come in at number six. So with that in mind, we will see. Uh, there is still, and that's part of what made the uh, the – Brian Kelly news, fairly surprising. That, that's part of what made the timing of that catch folks off guard because Notre Dame is still in a position to make the college football playoff. They're sitting there at number six now. Some things would have to certainly fall in their favor. They, they don't necessarily control their own fate. It's not necessarily a destiny that is controlled, but they don't control their own fate. But they do have a path to the playoff. They may make the college football playoff if the right folks in front of them lose. So we'll see how that portion of things ends up playing out. But I think for the what I was referencing earlier about the Big Ten championship game, that's where if Michigan ends up losing that game, there's not necessarily, and I think this, this uh, playoff ranking sort of confirms that because Ohio State checks in at number seven. Of course, no game remains for the Buckeyes. So – is there some sort of a, a far-fetched version of where Ohio State could maybe still make the playoff? I suppose because, you know, Gary Barter, who's the public pincushion for the college football playoff selection committee, you know, he steps out there in front of everyone, answers the questions on behalf of 13 total individuals. But I do think that overall, could it happen for the Bucks? Sure. I don't think it's complete. they're completely eliminated, just like the Bears aren't eliminated from the NFL playoffs. But it's not likely. It's highly unlikely. It's going to come down to very likely someone in that top six. Notre Dame doesn't have a game remaining this weekend. So some of the carnage that would have to play out ahead of them is is what would end up needing to be the case. Now, Georgia's going to face Alabama. If Alabama ends up taking down Georgia, then you get those two SEC teams in there. And then it will come down to Michigan, Cincinnati, and Oklahoma State. Michigan's going to face, of course, like I said, my Iowa Hawkeyes. So think overall, be great for Iowa if they win it. Not so great for the Big Ten. But we do, I believe, have my friend on the line, Nicole Auerbach of The Athletic with us here on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. She joins me on the Circle Resort and Casino in Las Vegas hotline, home of the world's largest sports book. Nicole, how are you doing this evening? Hey, doing well. How are you? Doing great, doing great. You are following all of the news, all of the machinations from the latest rankings that came out this evening. I just sort of ran through the top seven. And, of course, the the way that the remainder of the top 25 plays out ends up factoring into how we perceive the teams who are in the picture, especially those top four teams. But overall, from the, the rankings that came out this evening, do you see anything in particular that will work itself into being the, the biggest storyline? There's normally something that's kind of the attention-grabbing disappointment of something that the committee did with the rankings each night and with these the final rankings before championship came coming up here. What was your big takeaway? 
Yeah, I think the, the main storyline um, tonight was, was about Notre Dame and just the fact that it is listed in the protocols that player and coach availability can factor into the committee's evaluation of a team. And, you know, I, I get why that was listed, and, and this is the way it was written. Other relevant factors, such as unavailability of key players and coaches that may have affected a team's performance during the season or likely will affect its postseason performance. I get why that's written the way that it is, but it is absolutely should not come into play for Notre Dame. And I think people are worried that it will because it's listed. It's part of the criteria. And, you know, Gary Barta did not say that they were going to ignore it. And that's what's difficult, I think, because obviously the Notre Dame players had no say over the fact that their coach just left them. And we haven't had a situation like this where, a playoff potential playoff team lost its coach six days before selection Sunday before, right? So this is uncharted territory, but the way that this is written, it's penalizing the players who are already penalized by their head coach leaving. So like, it just, I I think that's really where everyone is, is stuck right now. And then, you know, I think we're all just kind of keeping an eye on where Cincinnati is and what it means for them heading into championship weekend. But you know, Georgia and Alabama are above them. I think we all know if Alabama, you know, upsets Georgia, wins an SEC title, they're both in. If Alabama loses to Georgia, especially if it's not close, they shouldn't be in. So I think it's maybe I am more optimistic for Cincinnati's chances here than others. But to me, that one's a little bit more straightforward, um, you know, just in general. But I, I do think the Notre Dame question is is kind of lingering over this right now. And, and listen, there would have been plenty of other reasons for Notre Dame not to make the playoff. They, they don't have a top 25 win right now. They're not playing in a conference championship game. But if this becomes part of it, I, I, it's just, what are we doing? What are we doing here? <laughs> Nicole Auerbach of The Athletic and of the Big Ten Network here with me on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. Uh, Oklahoma State is just sort of looming and, and lurking there at number five. So Cincinnati, they've got their AAC Conference Championship game against a ranked Houston squad. And Oklahoma State has a top 10 foe awaiting them in the Big 12 championship game. How, how much delineation do you think there is between four and five? If both win, is there a scenario where Oklahoma State may jump Cincinnati? Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's definitely interesting. But to me, um, you know, I wouldn't look at those two teams on their own because I, I just think you have teams above them who are playing each other this weekend in, in Georgia and Alabama. So to me, if Alabama loses, they both get in. They're, they're both in position. Like, you don't have to talk about who's ahead of who because it's, it's not really an issue because for those teams, they just want to get in. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Oklahoma State clearly, um, you know, has benefited. It had a top 10-ish opportunity last weekend and has Baylor, although Baylor dropped a spot. So committee is not setting them up as nicely as they could have, because they could have kept them ahead of Ole Miss, but they're still a top 10 opportunity. So, you know, they were the team down the stretch that really had like a lot of opportunities to, to, to significantly jump up because they were lower than we're used to seeing a team in consideration, but you know, they clearly deserve it and they're going to be in the mix. <laughs> And with them being just right there on the cusp of the top four at the moment, I really thought it was interesting. I, I wasn't aware until you were referencing it here that that caveat that the committee put into things about you know the players and coaches' availability 
being a part of the consideration. So do you think it's legitimate where, you know, whether it's Gary Barter or previous college football playoff selection committee chairs who have, you know, had to go in front of the collective nation and tried to, you know, sort of let everyone know what the committee's thoughts are here. Do you think it's legitimate that they truly sort of tear up the, the previous rankings and, and start from scratch each week? Because if that is true, then I, I suppose what we're seeing right now tonight doesn't necessarily have to factor into how different things may look after we get through conference championship weekend. Yeah, I mean, that is theoretically how it's supposed to work. It's supposed to start from scratch each week. And also, you know, there's elements that haven't been factors yet, including the availability thing moving forward. They'll also get, you know, kind of injury reports from the teams as well because they can, you know, have that information. But also, conference champions, you know, that's supposed to be a tiebreaker element as well. So that's something that we've been looking at the last month and a half, and they haven't had that. As a, that, that hasn't been on anyone's resume, and it will be, you know, uh, after Saturday. So there's always that, that wrinkle and that, that element. I think, you know, certainly the conference champion data point is something that we learned about that first year. Um, you know, when Owen Ohio State jumped TCU and Baylor. But I do think, um, you know, it's possible that this set will look different. I mean, so is the rankings that matter? It's the real one. None of these technically matter. They just give us insight into how the committee views things. So we'll have to see. We'll have to see how those things factor in. And again, like stuff like the conference champion and coach player availability, that these things are supposed to be there for tiebreakers. So they could still say, like, this team is better than that team, and it, it wasn't close. And we don't know what's close and what's not. So, you know, that's why it's, it's, this whole thing is really frustrating. Obviously, you know, they wanted to go away from computers and add the human element, but the human element allows you to kind of just justify whatever you really want. And that's one thing we've learned from eight years of this as well. Uh, horseshoes, hand grenades, yeah. What is close, really? It's a very subjective sort of judgment. Uh, so to to move beyond the college football playoff rankings, then and and I did well. Actually, one one last point. I'm I'm curious for your thoughts. One one point I did make earlier in the show is if if my Hawkeyes take down your Wolverines this Saturday, I think it's awesome for Iowa. It's great for Kirk Ferentz get another Big Ten title. It's not necessarily great because I don't I don't see another Big Ten team like Ohio State at seven. Certainly not Iowa or or Michigan State. I don't think it seems like the Big Ten is def- is definitively only has Michigan remaining in the playoff picture. So I feel like in this year that was so deep and talented and just rich with, with excellent teams in the big 10, if Michigan loses this weekend, it's not necessarily great for the conference, right? No. Yeah. I mean, that would, that would be bad. Um, Everyone wants to make the playoff. That is the clearest way. Michigan is number two in the rankings tonight. Like they're in a great position to stay at number two. Um, If, you know, somehow Georgia loses, they'd be in the mix for number one. I mean, like they're, they're, they're in a great position and the, and the big 10 obviously wants, you want your strongest team to be in there and, you know, have a chance to win a national championship. And so um, knocking yourself out in the conference championship game is something that is a risk for, for everyone except mm, Georgia this year. I think they would survive with a loss. And we saw Notre Dame did that last year. They played in the ACC champ game and lost and still made it. But very few teams go into situations like that, and everyone kind of has that risk of knocking yourself out of the playoff, and that would definitely be what would happen if Iowa were to win on Saturday. All right, let's talk Heisman, because uh, 
you got to vote. You've been voting longer than me. I got to vote. I've just been at this a couple of years now, and I, I find this to be a rather confusing season to sort of parse through who who deserves it, who's even going to be a finalist. If they're a finalist, do they legitimately have a shot? Kind of feels like there's not – like there's some years where it feels like, all right, the position group, like, man, there's so many other great players, and the quarterbacks are really awesome too, and how do we parse through that? This year it doesn't necessarily even feel like a quarterback is like really going out and snatching this thing. How, how are you in, in going through your, your work in the process here, kind of parsing through what may happen and how you may try to figure out who's deserving of your vote? Well, I will be deeply disappointed if people just vote for Bryce Young because he's the Alabama quarterback. Mm. Because, because ESPN said that you know he was having a Heisman moment in a game where he didn't complete 50% of his passes and Auburn shut out six, and that they didn't the score quarter, right? a touchdown until 30 seconds left. Like, <laughs> no, that's not, that is not a Heisman trophy winner. And Alabama has not been Alabama. Like you need to broaden your reach and you need to look and figure out who the best players in the country are. And my colleague Ari Wasserman has been making this point in the last week and I'm stealing it because I really like it. But he said someone once told him early in his career, that when he got a Heisman vote, that that this person, his mentor, thought about what was the season, what was the story of that season. And usually the story of the season is like Alabama and their quarterback, right? Like it is their high-powered offense, whatever, and that would be the person that is most deserving. But this year the story is the defenses. So I think absolutely everyone should be looking at Aiden Hutchinson at Michigan. Everyone should be looking at Will Anderson at Alabama. Again, don't pick Bryce Young. Will Anderson is the best player at Alabama. You can't pick the person if they're not the best player on their own team. And then Jordan Davis at Georgia. If you believe Georgia's defense is the best in the country, pick the best player on the defense. Like, I would love to see people thinking that way. And, you know, in a weird year where there aren't obvious front runners, why not look at the defensive players? Because usually we don't. Their, their numbers and the kind of the way that we value them is so much harder than offensive players who are touching the ball every time. But – Think about it this way. These are the best players on their team. They are the reasons that they are winning games. And they do have numbers to back it up. But you have to look. And so that's what I would say. Because, I mean, yes, am I going to evaluate and look at Ken, Kenneth Walker and, and, and uh, Kenny Pickett? Yes, absolutely. But am I going to look at the defense, defensive players as well because they are the story of the season? Yes. Well, you and Ari are both really smart people. So I, I may steal that point myself at some point here. Yeah, I don't mind doing this. <laughs> Nicole Auerbach is on Twitter at Nicole Auerbach and I can't let you ride without talking about all the, the money and the movement that has been going on here over the last couple of weeks with coaches and I, I was just floored by Lincoln Riley and then I was even more floored I don't know how many more basements there are to go through but just stunned and shocked by the Brian Kelly maneuver have you been as, a, as caught off guard by some of this as I have? Yeah, I mean, I'm still processing it. It's, uh, you know, all of these moves are, are stunning um, to have the departures back to back. The money that's being thrown around and guaranteed in these contracts is alarming as well. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's just a really interesting time in college sports because, you know, these contracts and the salaries have gotten so out of control because that's where the money goes. It goes to coaches' salaries and it goes to facilities because, it, you know, they're not paying players out of these media contracts and like revenue that people are bringing in. And it's gotten so out of whack that you had, you know, when people are saying, you know, okay, this happens to everyone or like, you know, I don't, 
I I don't know if anyone, no one has sympathy for the players, but like I have so much more sympathy for the players because these numbers are so out of whack and because it's so, you know, these, yeah, you're you're chasing national championships and stuff, but you're chasing the money as well. And it it just, it it feels so different than when coaches made like 1 million. It makes, it makes a lot of difference to make $10 million. Right. And to leave your playoff team six days before the playoff is announced, right? Like all that stuff, it just, it, it's harder to stomach. And, you know, I was talking to multiple administrators last night after, you know, kind of the terms were uh, reported out there about Brian Kelly's deal. And, you know, it's just a lot of people around college sports who just don't like where it is right now with this stuff. Um, and, you know, again, the way that coaches are moving, the way that they're leaving, the patience that fan bases have with different coaches leading to the firing, leading to the movement, all this stuff. But, you know, I just think that I think the money is so out of whack and, and it's just, it's not going, it's not going back. I mean, J- Jimbo Fisher, he, he signed an extension that basically kind of set the bar at what, 10 million, 90 or 10 years, 95 million. And that's where we've been for, you know, extensions and, and different contracts so far. And it's just, it's, it, it's, 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 it's something you got to stomach, you know, and I don't, I don't, I don't like stomaching. <laughs> Do these, these contracts that, that we're seeing right now and the market being reset, is it, is it in anticipation of the, the playoff expansion and the oodles and oodles of new revenue on the way? Or was this sort of going to happen regardless? And once the playoff expands and there's even more money, then the market will just get reset again in a couple of years. Well, I, I think the money's there. Um, you know, I mean, I, I think some of it is, you know, people are expecting different conferences have, you know, media rights negotiations coming up. They're expecting to get more. SEC just renegotiates theirs. They're getting a lot. Um, you know, an expanded playoff would mean more money as well. But I, I just think, like, this is where it is. I mean, Michigan State, it was two, two donors, right? Like, I mean, there are people who are going to give you money to do these things, and these are the same athletic departments that had, layoffs and furloughs and stuff. But when it comes time to buy out a football coach or hire a new football coach, people, people want to donate money. People want to be invested in that. And it is, again, it doesn't, it, none of this makes sense. None of this makes you feel great about it, but people always pull together the money that they need for these things. Um, but yeah, so some of it's, you know, I, again, they, they have the money, they're able to get the pull of money together, but I do think, you know, everyone is expecting, um, you know, in the big 10 pack 12, like leagues that have their media rights coming up, um, you know, are expecting to get more from that, but it's, it's more just keeping up the Joneses. And again, it's this artificial market because the money doesn't go to the players. So if someone sets a new, like bar other people are going to try to jump over it. And so that's where we are. And that's why these, you know, these figures start out at such a high number. Yeah. And all the, the talk of NIL sort of appeasing the players for the moment. Well, Hey, that ain't money coming from the school. So I, I will be curious to see as more of this playoff expansion, if it becomes official, once that happens, then, you know, what, what kind of compensation is built into it for the players. And I know you will be all over that story once it happens, Nicole. Really appreciate your time tonight. All right, absolutely. Thanks for having me. That is Nicole Auerbach of The Athletic and of the Big Ten Network. She is on Twitter at Nicole Auerbach. When we return, I, I do want to get into uh, the, the remaining portion of the college football playoff top 25. And as I referenced, we'll have some Notre Dame talk 
on the way in the final hour with a Notre Dame beat writer slash insider for this money the the terms of the Brian Kelly deal are out there like we were talking about. We got all kinds of Irish fans who I know listen to this station to try to figure out what move is next in South Bend. So we'll do that in a few minutes when we return here and open up the phone lines and also get into the, the remainder of the college football playoff rankings and talk a, talk a little bit of leftovers uh, from a holiday sense. I'll, I'll let you know what I mean by that in a few minutes here. This is Anthony Heron, and I'm on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. Anthony Heron on 670 The Score. Most of the assembled media just kind of parsing through the terms of the Brian Kelly contract that he has with LSU. We'll talk about the former Notre Dame coach, the all-time winningest coach in Irish history. We'll do that in a few minutes with uh, Tyler Horka of blueandgold.com. But for the moment, just to, uh, to give you a little bit of background on the terms here, Brian Kelly's contract details, this according to Ross Dellinger, of Sports Illustrated uh, in 2022, $9 million salary, 2023 and 24, 9.2 mil, 2025, 9.4 mil, as well as 26. Then in 2027 and 28, 9.6 mil, 2029 and 30, 9.8 mil. And then in 2031, $10 million. He gets a $500,000 longevity bonus each July of the contract year. And so just tack on another half mil each time he decides he is willing to stay with the Bayou Bengals. So all kinds of loot on the way for Brian Kelly. And Ross Dellinger goes on to say that LSU owes him 90% of his remaining salary if he's fired for cause. But, but if he wins a national championship, LSU owes him 100% of the remaining salary if they fire him. LSU has fired its last two coaches, both of whom won national championships. And just to be clear, the last three LSU coaches have won national championships. They just didn't fire Nick Saban. Nick Saban went to the Miami Dolphins once he left LSU and then left the Dolphins and came back to Alabama, where he still coaches, of course, at the moment. But uh, Les Miles, who replaced Nick Saban, he won a national championship. And, of course, Ed Orgeron, who did not last two seasons beyond his national championship, but he also, Coach O, did as he was Hodataga. He also won a national championship for LSU. So as I kind of briefly referenced earlier, like Brian Kelly going to LSU, that's what people do. Like coaches go there and they win national championships. And so, you know, it, it seems like a an athletic department, a fan base that, I don't know, they – I respect the fact that they haven't settled, if you will, because they, you know, every every coach who's come there in the last 20 years, let's call it, they they win, they win big, they get a natty, and then they move on and do something else. But I think overall, man, they, I, I guess I would respect the way that LSU is not willing to, to settle for the level that they're at to say it's all right to take a step back. It's okay to be down for a couple of seasons. And, of course, there was, there was a lot going on with Ed Orgeron off the field that they brought a little embarrassment and perhaps some shame, if you will, to LSU's program. But I do think that, uh, that for the Bayou Bengals, what, what they're willing to shell out monetarily, uh, while there are some folks shocked by it, some folks have very little problem with it, and that's where I, I do believe that for the student-athlete aspect of things, you know, like the 
you know, some of the more prominent college athletes right now being able to monetize their brands through the, the adjusted name, image, and likeness rules around the country, that's cool and all. But in the end, not every female athlete is going to be as effective, as famous, as popular as Paige Beckers from UConn. Not every male athlete will have all the, the star wattage of Bryce Young at Alabama. And, you know, these are people bringing in major money based off of their their name, image and likeness, based off the brand that they have through their exploits on the playing surface. So a lot of folks are sort of conflating what name, image and likeness can mean for a student athlete, what, what it can allow them. They're conflating that with thinking that it's cool for all the additional revenue that's on the way between the, you know, what's already in place for the billions of dollars that, that the sport makes, that the institutions rake in, the expansion of the college football playoff reportedly may even triple that if you get multiple television networks involved in the major college football postseason tournament. And if you go that direction and you're going from what may be like $2 billion to upwards of perhaps $6 billion, if that's the case, then it, it's, it's nonsense to think that for some reason student athletes couldn't have compensation built in with that. And that is reportedly a part of the discussion that's taking place with the committee or really plural committees who are discussing how playoff expansion may play out and what will make sense in this new version of the college football playoff once it comes together. NIL is one thing. That's money that student athletes can make based off of what other folks, what outsiders who are, you know, in theory, unrelated, unassociated with the institution these student-athletes play at who are not connected with them can you know, just funnel additional money to them for their commercial endeavors to be involved with these athletes. That doesn't mean the NCAA or the conferences or someone shouldn't still be able to compensate the student-athletes in the revenue sports, in a sport like football, as all this other money continues to be you know, sort of rolling into the coffers at especially at the major college level. So there, there are two different pots of money one of them continues to grow exponentially and certainly, like I was just talking about with Nicole Auerbach of The Athletic, the pot of money that is going towards the coaching ranks continues to balloon, to expand, to mushroom. So if we're cool with the coaches making it, don't know why we wouldn't be cool with the players making it too. You know, the, the coaches have their pot of NIL money that's always been available to them in one trough, and then they've always had the separate sort of salary pot and their compensation just for coaching their particular sport no reason the players shouldn't have access to both as well in my opinion well the coach uh the coach topic du jour is brian kelly of notre dame so i'll take a time out come back here and we'll get some details on what's happening what happened with the extrication of brian kelly how lsu got him from south bend and what is next for the Fighting Irish? What's even realistic? Because everybody's always shooting for the moon when it comes down with some of these coaching candidates. We'll see what Tyler Horker of BloomGold.com thinks. We'll do that next here on Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. 
Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.